Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs. Today's episode is going to be episode 38, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7 with the theme, Be Ye Reconciled to God. Let me first begin today by just apologizing for the rather significant delay in getting this out. Um, There's a reason for that. I know many of you enjoy listening to this podcast to help with different lessons you have to teach on Sunday and uh, just working with your family on some things, doing some lessons that way. I wanted to try to get this out earlier, but this was the best I could do. I have been sick. Like it seems like just about everybody else has. There's been just something going around. I, I think it very well could have been COVID. I didn't get tested this time, but um, boy, the the energy levels have been down just like uh, the one time I had it before. And uh, whatever it is, it seems like there's all kinds of, of different variants of it going around. Uh, within my community, within my family. And so that's the reason for the delay. But, you know, as I as I kind of looked at putting this together, I thought, well, this is actually the perfect introduction for this particular theme and the principles that we'll be taking a look at. Because the truth is, I know how I got sick, but I also don't know how I got sick. I know that I picked up germs. I just don't know where they came from. But the reality is, is that regardless, those germs had the ability to cause havoc in my in my system, in my energy, um, just in the way that I, I felt in general. And all of this just really contributed to a lot of havoc, not just in my body, but in life and trying to just do what I normally do, such as this podcast. And as I thought about that, this just really has a lot to do with, again, what we're going to be going over today, this idea of, of picking up germs and getting sick and the, the way they can cause havoc in our lives. Let me begin by first giving a little bit of background to these particular chapters as I like to do. Sometimes being a church leader means having to say some difficult things. This was true in Paul's day just as it is today. Apparently a previous letter from Paul to the Corinthian saints included chastening and caused hurt feelings. In the letter that became 2 Corinthians, he tried to explain what had motivated his harsh words. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. When you're on the receiving end of some correction from a leader, it definitely helps to know that it is inspired by Christ-like love. And even in those cases where it is not, if we were willing to see others with the kind of love that Paul felt, it's easier to respond appropriately to any offenses. As Elder Jeffrey R. Holland counseled, be kind regarding human frailty, your own as well as that of those who serve with you in the church, led by a volunteer, mortal men and women, except in the case of his only perfect begotten son, imperfect people are all God has ever had to work with. (laughs) I love that statement from Elder Holland. That being said, Paul in in this particular section of, of chapters addresses several issues in a rather direct way that are meant to help inspire the saints back at that time, do things that would help bring them closer to God and experience life in greater abundance, to be more free, to be less 
weighed down by the consequences of poor choices and sin and temptation that really abound so and are so prevalent in the world today as they were back then. And so the, the principles that we're going to go over this week are kind of meant to be able to help us to look inwardly and try to identify ways that we can improve as individuals and things that we could do better at avoiding that might be bringing us down, even if they're things we don't necessarily want to hear or to see in ourselves. Sometimes it's these kinds of things that are the most difficult to have pointed out. And in large part, this is what Paul is doing in, in these chapters, as, as he's done in others. Quite frankly, Paul's pretty good at pointing out the ways in which people need to improve, to repent, and to change. Well, one of the things that he starts out by teaching that I just love is in chapter 3, verse 17. And I want you to take a moment, young people, and mark one phrase in particular in this verse. In this verse, Paul writes, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Would you mark that phrase? It is such a amazing and profound statement. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You guys, God intends for you and I to be free. He wants us to be free. And sometimes that can kind of work against us when we have people that use that freedom to hurt other people. And we wonder, like, why does God allow these things to happen? But the truth is he allows agency because he loves freedom. And he wants us to choose him out of that state of, of freedom, not because we feel coerced to or manipulated to or even forced to. It's he, he loves us being free and to be able to have the choices that we want to make and then to make them uh, according to what we feel is right and what we feel is best. He's always been that way, and he has always wanted to defend our freedom. And and I love Paul Paul's statement where he reminds us of that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That will always be the case. I remember reading the Book of Mormon through the war chapters where, I think it was Pehorn at the time, made a similar statement where Moroni and, and him were exchanging uh, letters back and forth to each other. Moroni had the, the misunderstanding that maybe Pehorn was... Um, keeping a lot of the resources to himself, that he wasn't really supporting the cause of freedom, in which case Pehorn responded, let him know it was the kingmen that were uh, the, the real cause behind all the resources being withheld from him and his armies to assist them in, in their battles with the Lamanites. And one of the things that he tells Moroni to do is to leave that part of the land and uh, the affairs of the war in the hands of some of his generals. I think T uh, Tiancum was one. And he said, bring whatever men you can and come to me. And let's put an end to the kind of the king men that are causing the, the problems. It's kind of the, the principle that came out of that was we have to cleanse the inner vessel first so that the outer vessel can be cleansed also. And in that process, Pehorn tells him in Alma chapter 61, verse 15, he says, conduct the war according to the spirit of God which is also the spirit of freedom. It's a very similar statement. In fact, I would encourage you to put that verse of Alma chapter 61, verse 15 as a cross-reference there by 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And again, the statement is the spirit of God, which is also the spirit of freedom. And I think it's important to recognize that the war that was in the pre-existence has not ended. As we know, it's just continuing on here. We are in a fight. There are very real influences on both sides that are at war with one another. 
And whenever we really try to be good or make good choices, we will feel the very real influence working against us to keep that from happening. The prophet Joseph Smith said, The nearer a person approaches the Lord, a greater power from the, man, from the adversary will be manifest to prevent the accomplishment of his purposes. That's exactly what he does. But when we make the decision to stand for what's right, there is a power that goes out from those choices and and that decision that really permeates our life and and spreads to others. Others see those kinds of valiant and courageous decisions and choices, and they will rally to the cause. And we see that in a very real way with Moroni, who takes Pehorn's counsel and it's at that point that he it says in Alma chapter 62, verses 4 and 5, that he did raise the standard of liberty. Remember the title of liberty that he was famous for? He took that with him and he raised it in whatsoever place he did enter. And it came to pass that thousands did flock to his standard and did take up their swords in the defense of their freedom that they might not come into bondage. That's the power that you have, especially as, as a young person, as young people, is to raise those standards that God has set for you and for me to help keep us safe, to help keep the Spirit with us so that we can always be free and raise those in whatever place that we go in. And when we do as hard as it might be and as maybe different as we might seem we are compared to some of the rest, there will be those that will recognize where true freedom comes from and they will rally around you and around that standard. And they'll take up their swords, metaphorically speaking, to also fight in defense of their freedom so that they might not come into bondage. That is what is needed so much in the world today. I remember on one occasion as a seminary teacher, an experience I had that really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of this. I had a student in one of my classes that I absolutely loved. She was just an incredible person. Um, but a little rough around the edges and a little bit of that rebellious spirit. But I, I just love that. She just had a fire about her. She would always ask questions, kind of play the devil's advocate in a lot of my lessons. And we'd go back and forth in them. And, and I just, I had fun with her. I really enjoyed her as, as a person, as a student. And I think she appreciated that I you know, gave her space to be herself, to ask her questions and didn't make her feel bad for, for that. Well, on one occasion, I remember she'd been gone for several days, and it wasn't unusual for her to miss a day or two here or there, but on this particular occasion, there was a string of about three or four days where she had not shown up to class. I started to get a little worried and was about to call home when sitting in my office late after one, uh, one day after class, I got a phone call, and on the other line was her mother, and she was in tears, and she asked me if I was her daughter's teacher. I said that I was, and she proceeded to tell me what had happened. Apparently, her daughter had been out with some friends late one night, and they decided that it would be fun to try some kind of drug. I don't know exactly what it was, but they did, in which case she overdosed. And her friends, her friends, in quotation marks, um, instead of caring for her well-being, were more afraid for themselves and being caught. And so they left her right where she was, which was basically in uh, a gutter, just on the curb near, uh, on the side of a road. And that's where she was discovered. And by that point, she had slipped into a coma and uh, was now in the uh, emergency care center at one of the, the local hospitals nearby. Her mother asked me if I wouldn't mind going over to give her a blessing, in which case I told her, of course, I'd be happy to. And so... 
I proceeded to go over there that, that evening, and I'll never forget the sight that met my eyes when I walked into that hospital, that emergency room, and found my student. There she was, laying in bed, and I kind of pictured when people are in coma, you kind of picture what you see on TV, right? They're just, they look like they're restfully sleeping, peacefully sleeping. Well, this wasn't the case. She was in what's referred to as a waking coma, where her brain is still very active, but she is completely unresponsive and unaware of what's going on. So in order to keep her from hurting herself or anyone else, they had to strap her down to the table. So I walk in and there's my precious little student just completely strapped down to the table. Her arms strapped down, her legs strapped down, but she's trying to flail around. She's kind of moaning, her eyes are closed, and she obviously is not aware of with what's going on. All along her legs and her arms were, were scabs where apparently she had been picking um, due to some of the drugs that she'd been taking. I guess that was a, a side effect of taking some of these drugs. And I proceeded to visit with her mom. I tried to offer what comfort I could. I, I gave her a blessing and I expressed my love to both both of them there. And then, then I left. Before I left, I couldn't help but just take one look back at my student. And I remembered some of the conversations that we had had before where she was very adamant at the time in my classroom about how restrictive the church was, how difficult they made life by all the rules and all the commandments that were a part of it and how she expressed several times she didn't really feel like we were free and I tried my best at the time to teach her what commandments were really designed for but um, didn't quite sink in but in this moment I couldn't help remember some of those conversations that we had had and the words of a particular verse came to mind to me in that moment 2 Nephi 2.27, when Father Lehi taught, Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. In that moment, I wish so much to be able to explain to her and to help her to see how liberating, how freeing actually the commandments were. That what she was experiencing was the result of not following God's laws and God's commandments. And that they were never designed to weigh us down or to keep us from being free. But it's always been just the opposite. And that really is one of the great messages that I think Paul is mentioning here and that I took out of these chapters. Is that freedom will always be found in Christ. And we are in a place in time in the world's history where it is getting harder and harder. Have you noticed? To be free, to maintain freedom, almost every impulse, everything that causes instant gratification is at the tip of our fingers. Things that typically would enslave us are so easy to get access to. The only control I am realizing more and more that is left in the world or will be left soon is self-control. I mean, just think of all the kinds of things that are out there that are trying to enslave us. Things like video games. There are millions of dollars spent on how to make them more addictive. Psychologists are now an integral part of every game development so that they know exactly what to do to captivate the human mind and to make it come back and become addicted to it. Pornography, millions of dollars spent on that industry every year. Um, there are energy drinks, uh, cell phone apps and data, uh, just food in general. Everything is designed to try to draw us back in. Television, YouTube, 
how much time are we giving? How much control are we giving to these things around us? Uh, Stephen Pressfield, uh, in the book, The War of Art, which is a wonderful read, said, the paradox seems to be, as Socrates demonstrated long ago, that the truly free individual is only free to the extent of his own self-mastery, while those who will not govern themselves are condemned to find masters to govern over them. Discipline creates freedom. And while that is absolutely true, discipline is also found by being a disciple of Christ. Because, to be honest with you, I don't know that personally I have the power to withstand all the temptation that is out there. It is so prevalent and so easy to be accessed and so tempting. But being a disciple of Christ, by being a disciple of Christ, I am empowered to resist those things and to keep God's laws and commandments and remain free. A couple of key questions for you to consider in regards to this principle. I'd like you to just... I'd invite you to just consider what does it mean to you to be free? What does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? What have been some things in your life that have taken away your freedom? Can you identify those? Things that have caused you to lose the ability to choose or to, to feel less free? What kinds of things seem to control you more than you control them? That's a deep question that I would invite you to really ponder over. How have you seen others your age give up or lose their freedom? And to what kinds of things? How are God's commandments meant to help us to keep our freedom? How can you better practice and develop self-discipline? And lastly, how does Christ represent freedom to you? I think that's a great question to, to ponder and consider over as well. Now for the second principle I'd like to take a look at, let's go to, to chapter 4. Verses 8 and 9, and these are some great verses I would encourage you to mark. Here in these verses, Paul reminds them that although life can be hard and life gets difficult and there is and always will be challenges and afflictions and trials, he reminds us of this. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And then a few verses later, in verses 16 through 18, he mentions, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's talking about developing the ability to see past the moment. A lot of times the reasons that we give in to temptation is that we want what we want and we want it now. We want something quick. We want something fast. In fact, I think it was C.S. Lewis that once said that wickedness, when you examine it, turns out to be the pursuit of something good just in the wrong way. When we develop the ability to see past the moment and to focus on the eternal it gives us a strength and an ability to overcome those kinds of temptations, to see past our problems, and to instead be patient and to trust that everything will work out in the right time and in the right way. A great example of this is Joseph who was sold into Egypt. I can't imagine being in his situation where just simply trying to live a good life and be a good person 
got him one sold as a slave, betrayed by all of his brothers. And then when he's trying to follow God's commandments, what happens? He gets thrown in prison for resisting the advances of his master's wife. I mean, at what point do you just throw up your hands and say, okay, I'm good, I'm done, I've done everything that I can to to be good and it hasn't gotten me anywhere. But no, Joseph is the perfect example of that, being troubled on every side, but not distressed, perplexed, wondering why this is happening, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. And so he held on to his faith. He trusted in his heavenly father that he would be brought out on top again, even if it took a while, which it did, but he finally was to the point where he was able to look back on all of his challenges and his trials and acknowledge that it wasn't you speaking to his brothers that sent me here, but God, that this was all part of his plan to be able to deliver not just his family, but all of Egypt from famine. It reminds me as another great cross-reference scripture, Doctrine and Covenant section 53, verse 2 which reads, For verily I say unto you, Blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death. And he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. And ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God, concerning those things which shall come hereafter, and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. For after much tribulation come the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand. Now, as I contemplated all of this, I thought, you know what we are really talking about is hope. I really think that that is what Paul is alluding to here. That that which causes us to be troubled on every side, yet not distressed, or are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, cast down, and not destroyed, what allows us to keep that same mentality of Joseph in withstanding some of these very difficult and troubling times is hope. Hope is everything. Elder John H. Groberg, in a talk titled, There is Always Hope, said this about what hope is. What is hope? He said, I suppose that is like trying to define faith or love. It's very difficult, but we can use some examples. As near as I can tell, hope is light. It is a light within us that pierces the darkness of doubt and discouragement and taps into the light or hope of all creation, even the Savior. I think he said in some instances that we may be able to substitute the word hope for light and get some understanding in the scriptures. Example, he said we talk about Christ as being the light of the world. Well, he is also the hope of the world. The Lord sent the everlasting gospel to be a light unto the Gentiles, or to be a hope to the Gentiles. The Spirit giveth light to every man, or the Spirit giveth hope to every man. Christ is the true light that is in all men. Christ is also the true hope that is in all men. So, he said, hope is light, and hope is Christ, and we can never cut that thread that connects us to him, no matter how hard things get, or else we will lose light and lose hope. He is the source of both. What are some of the signs of true hope? Well, he said that some of the signs of true hope are calmness, optimism, or all those things that are the opposite of downheartedness or being disturbed. You can almost measure the level of hope that you have in the Savior by the depth and frequency of depression and discouragement that you allow yourself to sink into. And this really goes hand in hand with the first principle that we just talked about with Christ and the Spirit of Christ also being the Spirit of freedom. He brings hope. 
And in the battles that we have to fight, what will help us prevail and come out on top of whatever we face in life will always be hope and the light that comes from it. Elder Holland, uh, the first of the year, shared a message uh, from scriptures that states this, Press forward, he said, with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and the love of God and of all men. He said, that brightness of hope, born of the love of God and all men, that's what we want for every one of you in the new year. Accompanying that bright hope will be the undeniable whisper that God loves you, that Christ is your advocate, that the gospel is true. Its brightness will remind you that in the gospel there is always, every day, every hour, a new chance, a new life, a new year. What a miracle. What a gift. And because of Christ's gift, the best things in life are ours if we steadfastly keep believing and keep trying and keep hoping. And that is such a powerful message for each and every one of you because I know how easy it can be to become discouraged and to slip into despair. There are so many things that we go through in life, so many challenges that we face, that really the only way for us to get through them is to have hope, to keep the light of Christ with us, to remain free in our lives. A couple of key questions for you to consider about this principle is, one, how does hope play a role in your life right now? How has hope helped you to stay calm in difficult circumstances that you've been in? Why is hope stronger when it is centered and found in Christ? I love that question. Another question might be, why through Christ is there always hope, no matter what is going on in your life? That's a great question for you to contemplate. And lastly, what has helped you to strengthen your hope and faith so that you can better, like Paul said, be troubled on every side, yet not distressed? For our last principle today that I want to take a look at, I want to look at specifically verses 14 through 18 and just a couple of the key things that Paul mentions there, some of the counsel that he gives the saints in Corinth. Verse 14, he kind of calls them out a little bit. And this is what he tells them to do in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And then he goes on to say in verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Those are some powerful verses, young people, and, and ones I would hope you would mark, not just in your scriptures, but in your heart, and take them to heart. God calls all of us to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, to come out from the world, really, and be separate from the world, and to touch not the unclean thing. And that may involve sometimes you letting go of friends um, or those that you date. Even family sometimes might have to be sacrificed in a way to live the gospel and to follow Christ. I know of students that, who have given up all three in their life. Really anything that pulls us down can be considered unclean or I'd go so far as to even say accursed. And I use that word because of a story in the Old Testament that I'll refer to in just a moment. But I want you to think again about all the different influences that are out there that can come into our lives that, like we talked about earlier, that can enslave us and rob us of our faith, of our joy, and of our hope. 
pornography, young people, is among the biggest of them. And there hasn't been a bishop that I haven't spoken with that hasn't told me from his personal experience that just about every young man that has a cell phone is being exposed to that and in some ways struggling with that. And I know that there's a rise in young women as well. That is one of the unclean things and the accursed things that we are being warned over and over to avoid and to get rid of in our lives. In the Old Testament, as I referenced earlier, there's a story of a man by the name of Achan and his family who, and the accursed thing, where the Lord gave specific direction to the house of Israel concerning the spoils of war as the children of Israel fought with the Canaanites in coming into the promised land. He told them that there were certain things that they could take and certain things that they couldn't. And that he would continue to deliver them and advance their cause as long as they didn't bring that which was accursed into their camp, into their homes, or into their lives. And a lot of those accursed things had to do with with wealth and with money and jewels and, and things that he knew would cause an element of pride to creep into their hearts, which could spread just like a disease and like a cancer and eventually even lead to their destruction. We saw that with the, the Nephites. It was pride that caused the entire civilization to fall. So the Lord put some very specific things in place to keep them safe from that. But in the story, Achan, uh, some of his family, took some of those accursed things and hid them for themselves. Well, Joshua, who's the leader at the time, goes before the Lord and is asking for further help to do battle with the Canaanites. And instead of the Lord giving his specific instruction about how to fight the Canaanites, he tells them something else. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 10, it reads, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face. Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Wherefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is a cursed thing in the midst of thee, o, o Israel, and thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. And they go about trying to find it. They finally discovered it. And they actually end up putting all those that were uh, associated with it to death. They got rid of it completely from their lives. And although it may seem a harsh thing, there is a lot more at stake here than just what happens to us in life. We are talking about the eternities to come. And the Lord wants very much for us to make those choices and decisions of our own free will that will lead to the best results throughout all eternity, while also keeping us safe from those things that will destroy our opportunities throughout eternity. And clearly there are things that he has warned us about that are accursed, that he wants us to keep out of our lives because of what they can and will do to us. And to help you better understand why, I want you to listen carefully to what Bishop H. Burke Peterson said about the accursed things or unclean things in our lives and what they can and will do to us. He said, in application of this particular scripture today, it is my understanding that anytime we look at or listen to the kind of material that we've been speaking of, even in its mildest form, the light inside of us grows dimmer because the darkness inside increases. 
The effect of this is that we cannot think as clearly on life's challenges, be they business, church, school, family, or personal, because the channel to the source of light for the solving of problems is cluttered with various unclean images. Our entitlement to personal revelation on any subject is severely restricted. We don't do as well in school or at work. We are left more on our own, and as a result, we make more mistakes, and we're not as happy. Remember, our mind is a wonderful instrument. It will record and keep whatever we put into it, both trash and beauty. When we see or hear anything filthy or vulgar, whatever the source, our mind records it. And as it makes the filthy record, beauty and clean thoughts are pushed into the background. Hope and faith in Christ begin to fade, and more and more turmoil and discontent become our companions. This is the reason why the Lord cautions and warns us against picking up the unclean thing, why he invites us to come out from among the world and the wicked and to be separate. And to tie it back into what I started this episode out with in being sick, he's basically telling us to to wash our hands, to, to keep ourselves clean from germs and potential infections that can really cause turmoil in our lives in our our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, and can keep us from having the spirit and the joy that he desires for us to have. If I hadn't come across those germs, I wouldn't have gotten sick. If I had done more to potentially keep myself clean, I wouldn't have gotten sick. And if I had a way to take those germs and get them out of me and put them back down, I would. And the beauty of the gospel is that is exactly what the Lord has provided. One, a means to avoid getting sick. And two, a means to get better if we have through repentance and faith in Christ. The worst part of picking up some of these unclean things, these accursed things, and not being separate and coming out from the world is because of what they do to hope. In Moroni chapter 10, verse 22, Moroni points out very powerfully that if ye have no hope, ye must needs be in despair, and despair cometh because of iniquity. Did you catch that? Your hope and my hope is tied to our faith in Christ. And our faith in Christ is best seen in the way that we follow His commandments, the way that we follow His life, the way that we repent and how quickly we repent when we make mistakes, All of those things leads to greater light, greater faith, and greater hope. But the opposite is also true. If you happen to find yourself in a place where you are losing hope, the first place I would invite you to look is what particular sins have you picked up? What things are you doing? What accursed things are in your life that are sucking that life out of you? Just like germs and and sickness do, are causing you to feel worse are causing you to have less energy and strength and are causing you to feel more down and discouraged. That's what these kinds of accursed things do to us. And that's my invitation to you today is to get those out of your life if there's any in them. And remember how all of this ties back into our freedom and remaining free and happy and full of hope. All of these things are tied together that Paul is teaching us throughout these particular chapters. And I hope that You've picked up some things that are helpful for you personally. A couple of key questions to end this principle on. Number one, what are some of the unclean things that you have seen others invite into their lives that have caused real problems in their life? 
I'm sure you can identify and you've, you've seen examples all around you. Another question, in what ways does the Lord call us to be separate and to come out from the world? What does that look like to you? What are some of the ways that are hard for young people to be different from the world today? Let's be honest. I know there's some things. Fashion is probably one of them, right? The modesty, uh, the levels of modesty that exist in the world, well, are basically non-existent today. So, yeah, I get, that gets very hard. And it can be hard for a young person to feel like they fit in and still live according to God's standards. But again, remember, they're not just His standards. They're standards that are meant to keep us free. Um, another question, how have you felt unclean things sap your spiritual strength and rob you of joy? I know you've experienced that, as have I. Another question, what is something God is inviting you through this lesson and through maybe His Spirit to let go of, to put back, or to allow to drop out of your life completely? Can you see why these kinds of things are so dangerous for us to flirt with, to pick up, even if in the smallest amounts, in smallest of moments. President Monson once said, I remember and never forgotten this statement, that it's easier to obey a commandment 100% of the time than it is 98% of the time. I want you to think about that in closing today. I hope that some of this has been helpful to you. As always, please, please, please remember that the, that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, and I would say has the most hope whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And He invites us all to come follow me and to find hope in Him. So let's follow Him better this week, you guys, and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.